Blog Talk Radio. Another edition of Brunton Radio. We've got a special show for you tonight. David Sanborn, he will be our special guest. Three-time Grammy winner, and most of you Todd fans remember him from the show Night Music, where Todd was on there three times, and David performed with him on several songs, including Nevermind the Why and Wherefore from Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore, the opera. David was on sax, of course. Quite a performance. I'm sure you remember it. Taj Mahal was involved. Michelle Gray then, now Michelle Rundgren. David, is that you? Yep. David Sanborn. Hey. Hey, right. how are you doing? All right, okay. I'm doing Sorry great. I'm late, but, shoot. you know. Video shoot good? What's that? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I, I, uh, got to, I, was, I, I got this, like, award from the, it's called the French Jazz Academy. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I, I can't be there because I'm on the road, so I, I had to tape a little thanks very much. And, you know, <clears throat> felt like, you know, I feel like Jerry Lewis, you know. <laughs> Well, you're popular. You like Paris. Yeah. I'm big in France, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> you're one of those TV commercials that sell your albums. Big in France. Yeah. Big in Japan. Now, you're big, uh, obviously, in the United States as well. And we appreciate you being on. We're looking forward to talking to you about all kind of things. And, of course, Thanks. we like to start with, with what's going on with you now. And we know you got a new album out, 2008. And uh, here now, we want to hear a little bit about that and see what's going on. I yeah, well, I... I it. It, was, uh, it was an album that I did... Uh, it was kind of a tribute to some of my musical heroes, the guys in the Ray Charles band, Hank Crawford and a guy named David Fathead Newman, two saxophone players in that band. And they were the guys that really kind of inspired me to play music in the first place. And when I was growing up, the first kind of music that really made the light bulb go on for me was Ray Charles. And uh, and that was, you know, those were the guys that were, they were kind of the the instrumental voices of what, you know, the counterpoints of what Ray was doing vocally. And that music was, to me, like all the great American forms of American music, like jazz, gospel, and rhythm and blues all roll up in one. And Ray was the guy that kind of brought all that shit together. So, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, in retrospect, I, I see how lucky I was to be there when, when that stuff was on the radio. I mean, these were like hit, these were like hit records, you know, people were like, you know, these were singles. And it, this was like the, such a great run of music that was available then. And it was the early days of rock and roll, really. So mm-hmm. people were kind of finding their way, and people were trying different things. And I think that that spirit kind of, you, you know, uh, uh, waxed and waned over the years. And you know, and then it, get, you know, there was a resurgence of it in the in the in the '60s. You know, with uh, you know people people taking chances and just trying different combinations of music, and you know, and and that. That sense of, of adventure and experimentation is like <clears throat> something that gets, you know, lost, it seems, you know, when the music gets commoditized to a degree that, you know, when, you know, people, you know, in the business community start to step in and try to, try to, you know, formulize things and say, okay, well, what worked last time and, you know, do it again like you did last summer, rather than, you know, that sense of experimentation of like, well, let's try this with that. You know, and and I'm, you know, I feel lucky that I came up in, you know, kind of two separate eras. One was the early '50s, and and uh, and the, 
you know, when rock and roll really was born. Because I, I remember going into Woolworths when I was like eight years old <laughs> and seeing a record, yeah. uh, you know, big big 33 record because they were new at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and they just said rock and roll. That was it. That's all it said. Yeah. So it was like it was a novelty record, like a yeah. polka record or something, because that's what it was at that time. Yeah. And it was all these great, like, doo-wop records and, you know, uh, all these musicians from uh, New Orleans and, and people whose names I don't remember, but who were making this music that was like, what the hell is this? It, it wasn't Patti Page. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't Perry Como. It was like, holy crap. This is some, you know, this is something that's out of my experience, you know, as an eight-year-old and and it just it it turned the corner for uh, not only me but for everybody of my generation. And you know we became the rock and roll generation. Sure, Wilco had those albums. They cut the corner and it would be a discount, you know, like a promo album or whatever. You could buy all kind of stuff over there for a good deal. I remember that very well. And uh, you know, I think the music now, and I'm sure a lot of folks do, it, it's not near the same quality. A lot of it seems to be computer generated, at least the parts on the radio, not all music, of course. Yeah, I, see, I, I think there's a lot of great music out there, and a lot of people are making a lot of great music, but the stuff, you know, the media exposure of the music is so limited that what ends up getting on, like, particularly television and, and the mass media, has gotten so watered down because it has to appeal to such a, you know, broad taste that nobody wants to take a chance with anything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. maybe you should bring night music back. Oh man, I would love that so much. I mean, <laughs> that was so great to have all those people on there. I mean, we we would have like the the residents and Conway Twitty play together, or Sun Ra and Al Green. Oh, we we had Todd come on one time, and we he did stuff from Gilbert and Sullivan yeah. from the HMS Pinafore, Absolutely. and it was me, Todd, uh, Michelle, uh, uh, Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal, yeah, and uh, Pat Metheny. Yeah, you know, and we all wore those silly hats, and but it was great because you know, I mean, I mean, you just don't see stuff like that on TV, no. certainly on not on television. But there was that sense of, you know, trying different stuff and you know, because that's that's how the music grows is by people trying things, and sometimes it doesn't work. But you don't, you know, when something doesn't work, it's not a failure. It's just a, you know, you use that as as grist, you know, as fuel for the next thing that you try. You know, and and people like people like Todd and you know that 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 really had that you know the brains and the and the musical ability to, to try to combine different kinds of different elements of different kinds of music. I mean, that was what that was what was so great about that music. Music has an had an identity, and uh, you know it was it was unique. You know, and and people had you know people like Neil Young or or Todd or or whoever it was. You know, made music that that it wasn't like okay, this and this or that. It's Todd Rundgren music, mm-hmm. or it's you know Neil Young music, and and people go, oh yeah, I know what that means. So, but it was ident- So it it was in a sense whatever those people did, th- people were interested in what they did. So they didn't have to adhere to some kind of formula. There wasn't some kind of formula that they followed. They just followed their creative instincts and made music that reflected wherever they were at at that time. And I think that, that well, that, that sense of, of that kind of adventure is certainly not encouraged these days. You know, certainly not in the mainstream, you know, like in the, the, the world of the major labels as such as they are these days. Right. And I think the way this music is going, and certainly the distribution of music, is who, who the hell knows what the new business model is. But, 
you know, people are making music and it's available on the Internet, you know, and the people are figuring out different ways to get the music out. And there's a hell of a lot of great music happening out there because that creative spark doesn't die. It doesn't go away. You know, I mean, it's just it, it, so the music is there. It's just not being widely distributed. It's not being right by the big the big boys, but it's out there and people can do what they want. If they can find a, a niche or find a way to get the word out, they can do whatever they want because there's so many different ways of, of uh, sharing music now. It, it definitely has changed things, but the radio I don't think has changed too much as far as you know helping out with that type of deal. If you want to have something unique or, or follow these guidelines or do what you want, you have to spread the word a different way. Well, I yeah. think it causes people to to really seek out music, and mm -hmm. I mean maybe that's what you really need. You need people that are determined to find the music, and because then when they find something, they you know there's that 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 great sense of discovery about wow, look at this the thing that I found. This band that, you know, from East, you know, Bizarre, Bizarrania, wherever the hell it is, you know, that, that's, you know, making this great music that I've never heard before. And, you, and then they tell their friends, which is how the music really, you know, is, I guess, supposed to be. And it's like, gonna op, you know, it's going to eventually undermine whatever this massive structure is that we've had that's built up over the last 30 or 40 years to you know, that is the major labels. Because they're, they're obsolete anyway, and they know it. Yeah, and they want to keep know. fighting what what's, they can't fight. They're, they're yeah, really but their days are numbered, and, you yeah. know, they know it. They just can't figure out what the hell to do. Mm -hmm. It is confusing. It would be difficult to try to figure out how to get a handle on that situation, and hopefully they do that benefits everybody and keeps music where it needs to be. But, you know, you, you were mentioned you were lucky in getting to hear these things back in the day, and some things that we've heard a lot on some of these shows that I don't really hear much about currently were these jam sessions and different things. And one of them that always comes up with guests that were around Todd back in the 70s is the, A Wizard of True Star and some of the things they did to make that album. And I believe you were part of that. Do you remember yes, I was, about yeah. that? Yeah, can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Well, I, I, I just remember because I'd never met Todd before. You know, I mean, no, actually, you know what? That's not true because I knew Todd up in Woodstock when I was living. I used to play with the Butterfield Blues Band. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and Todd was living up there uh, at, in Woodstock at the time because he was kind of, uh, uh, I think Albert Grossman was kind of trying to figure out what the hell to do with Todd. <laughs> and Todd was just such a polymath, you know, he, he could cover so many bases that, that Albert just said, okay, well, you figure out what you want to do and, and just do it. And I'll, you know, he basically gave him a studio. To, to work out in. And, you know, Todd ended up producing one of the the band's records, what, Stage Fright? Wasn't that mm -hmm. the record that he produced? Yes. Yes, the band. Mm -hmm. and, Stage uh, Fright was the album, yeah. What's that? Stage Fright was the album. Yeah, Stage Fright was the album. He produced that record. And I remember they did it at the Woodstock Playhouse, which was, and so they kind of did it almost like a, you know, they kind of performed a record on, on a stage. And I thought that was a great record. I think that's one of the under underrated uh, band records that, then Todd did a great job because he he got he captured the real essence of what that band was, which was a band, you know, the world's greatest bar band, you know, yeah. and uh, and so I, I knew Todd kind of you know from hanging out in Woodstock and you know and just just remembering him from you know all these experiences of like you know like he was the first guy I knew that was really worked with computers and the first guy I knew that really kind of that, that I saw up close 
that really used the, the studio as an instrument, you know, and I got, I, it, that really planted that thought in my mind of like, yeah, well, the studio, actually all this equipment and the board and everything else, that's another instrument in the band. And and Todd really kind of, you know, in, you know, imbued that that sense in me, and so that when when I when I was in New York and I, it was basically he hired me and Mike and Randy Brecker, because uh, we were working as a horn section at that time, and he he basically hired us for that record. And I remember we were there there and Moogie Klingman was there. Yep. And it was that studio up on I think it was a 24th Street or 25th Street mm-hmm. on the West Side. Uh, and I think Moogie ran that studio. And I just Moogie, remember yeah. just being up there and we were just, you know, we would just kind of uh, screw around with stuff and uh, kind of discover parts. And then, uh, you know, it, we, we actually created some of that stuff in the studio by just, you know, screwing around. But Todd was always very much in control about where the direction of the music, where it was going. And, and you know, he... He had that. He was able to strike that balance between kind of letting us experiment and you know figuring out what to do and saying, okay, now it's time. Okay, let's now let's take it here. Let's take it there. So we felt like we were active participants in the creation of that music. And uh, and uh, once again, it, it was actually the first time that I'd actually worked with him, with him in the studio. I'd watched him work before, but I'd never actually worked with him in the studio. And and you just really got that sense of you know that you were you know you were involved in a in a creative process that he wasn't just there just you know turning on the machine and saying okay let's go he was like actively participating in the music you know the the creation of the music but from the board from behind the board well that that album speaks to what you were talking about earlier too it was Todd doing what he wanted to do and a lot of people exactly you know, don't they wanted another something, anything? And he said, "No, I'm going to do this." And a lot of people love that. That's their favorite Todd album. And some people think it was a mistake, but you know, the, the I think it's a great album. Love it, yeah. I mean, absolutely. But um, we, I wanted to. I don't want to hog you too long. We got some people that want to speak to you. They're fans, and one of them is our our house band sax player Brian Grace. He's online with us, and he wants to say hello and ask you a couple okay. questions if you don't mind. Sure. All right, Brian. David Sanborn, hello. Hi, Brian. Hi, Brian Grace calling. How are you doing? Good, I'm all right. Uh, I've been a sax player for about 30-plus years. I started uh, in the crib yeah, right. with a, a <laughs> silver too. saxophone in my mouth. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm a big fan. Uh, I've Thank been a you. fan for a long time, and, a, and really a big fan of Michael Brecker as well. Oh, he was the best. Rest Michael was Michael was probably the, one of the best saxophone. He was the best saxophone player I knew, just in terms of playing the instrument. There was nobody any, nobody any better than Michael. And um, I, I actually started out on alto sax uh-huh. um, in, in elementary school, and then I, I I made the army band, and I played in the army band for about seven years, and that's kind of where I discovered you and uh, the Brecker Brothers, and uh, you know the, the early albums with the Brecker Brothers, and you playing on those those albums. Right, and, uh, right. Oh, just, that was just, such a thrill playing with those guys. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, and all I can say is I was born at the wrong time, man. I, I really <laughs> wish I had been born about 20 years ago because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 30s, and I'm like, oh, my God, I, I wish I, I just had been back then and, and, and all the creativity that was going on back then. And, well, you know, it was great, but I, I think that, you know, 
um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I I often think about that, and and you know, my my take on it is always, you know, well, it's not the same as it was then, but you know, maybe it's just because I'm at a certain age, and I just don't, I don't have my, you know, finger on the pulse of what, of of what's really going on right now. You, you know I, what I mean in terms of people. How, how how younger musicians interact because I know like well, for example here in New York there's a club called Smalls mm-hmm. that people that that music, a lot of musicians go and hang out and uh, and 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 just have jam sessions and play and try different things and it's a it's an opportunity for for musicians to you know discover each other and to take a chance so I think that situations like that still exist I I just think it's not a pervasive no. atmosphere of that you know? yeah. Well, I think the business in general has changed a lot, like you said earlier. And I think there was a time when um, the artists could be like more maybe artist-centric and, and somebody could follow an artist's career, uh, you know, buy the guy's albums. Right. And, you know, and see some sort of progression. And I think yeah. that's been lost um, in, in, lately. Well, I think people aren't, you know, given the opportunity to grow. They're certainly not encouraged to yeah, grow. I mean, I you agree. know, you know, the the it used to be said that one of the great curses is, is that you had a hit record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cuz then you were expected to, you know, duplicate it. Sure. You know, and then it was like, okay, okay, what I then then you try to look back and try to analyze what you did right, and that to me is death of the creative process. Cuz then you can't follow your natural instincts of where to go next. You start to try to second guess like the marketplace, or you try to second guess what you think people are gonna like or not like, you know, and then and then you're you're operating from a faulty premise, you know. Instead you're, of making the music that correct. you really believe in, yeah. you're making music that's more calculated. And and I really think that's where Todd has really um, kind of uh, branched out from the norm. As, yeah. As, in his career, is is that he's not willing to. Uh, do things on other, kind of doing things on his own terms, and I think that's... Um, yeah. Well, it takes a lot of courage to do that. I mean, I don't mean to be melodramatic about it. Absolutely. But in order to, to really take that kind of stand and to walk away from, you know, a, a formula that's really working, because, you know, they, you know, they, you know, they dangle all the bright, pretty, shiny things in front of you and make it very tempting to, to just say, you know, come on, just give me another one of those. And they offer you all these, you know, you know, goodies, you know, for you know, if you if you do it, and that you know, sometimes that stuff's pretty hard to to walk away from. And you say, well, you know, how hard? How hard? Yeah, I'll just do a little bit like I did. I'll give them one thing like I did before. But just to to turn your back on it and say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore what you guys are saying, and I'm gonna do the music that I think is right. And and for somebody like Todd who's had such tremendous success and who certainly, I mean, I think if any, anybody in, in, in the business, he probably, if he chose to, to do it, could be incredibly more successful than he is. You well, know, but he's been, that, all he has to do is, you know, sit down and write some pop songs and he's, you know, he's back on. No problem. Yeah, exactly. Not but, what he wants to do. But yeah. he stays true to, to what he wants to do as an artist. And I think that's one of the definitions of an artist is that he's got, you know, he doesn't have a choice about what he does because he can't be dishonest, you know. And that, you know, that speaks to his character and also to his, you know, his guts. Sure. Because it takes a lot of guts to do that, you know. And I, 
I have to admit that I haven't always been successful in walking away from that stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, there, there's a price to pay in that too when you do that. So. Oh yeah, well yeah, you you find out that you know that there's no that you don't there's no free lunch. That right. either you pay the price financially or you pay the price creatively. Yep, you got to make know. that call, Brian. We appreciate the call. We got a couple other people, David. Hope you don't mind okay. hanging on with us. I want to get to them first because I know you have limited time. Area code three three zero, you're with us. Three three zero. Mr. David Sanborn. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Well, thank you very My much. My pleasure. What you just speak to about staying true as an artist is both you and Todd Rungren. I go back Dateline, 1980s. Saw you at the Blossom Music Center. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Ohio. <laughs> yeah. The bill was, opening act was Dave Bruce and Lee Rittenauer. Right. Uh, yourself, I think... At that time, it might have been Hiram Bullock on bass and Steve Gadd on drums. Yep. Uh, also on that bill was Ray Charles. Wow, yeah, man, that's going way back. But to speak what you're just speaking to as staying true as an artist, and Todd's never been that commercial success. Yeah. And, but putting out good stuff, and it's just truly my honor to speak to a legend well, well, thank you. Well, I don't want to blow smoke up. You know what? But well, I mean, you perform. It's already pretty smoky so well. up there. Okay, <laughs> but what a treat! Well, and thank I you very like much. Like your comments in in regards to some of your bands and some of the guys you played with, as far as you know, I know Marcus Miller and yep. Hiram Bullock and Diane Short has played with David Grusin. Maybe your comments, I. One of my favorite guitar players is Lee Rittenauer, and it's almost like he was never a star, right. but tremendous artist, and Dave Grusin, and yeah. the whole thing. And just a comment, and I'm sorry if I, re- I might repeat something you've already answered because I joined you late today. Well, all but, those all those people that you mentioned, you know, Lee Rittenauer, he was a guy who's, you know, you've probably heard him more than you realize because he played on so many records because he was in LA and he did a lot of stuff as a session musician so he played on all you know like a lot of Joni Mitchell records and a, a lot of other pop records across the board and then you, you know what what Lee brings to any kind of project that he works on is just an innate musicality that you know he'll walk into a situation and often you walk into a session and you're not given much clear direction you know they just you just kind of you know, you're with there with the uh, with the artist, whoever that is, a singer or another uh, player, and they kind of run down the music, and it, and it's up to you to develop their part, which actually becomes almost that's like almost writing part of the song, because in many cases, you know, maybe a guitar lick or a phrase or something that you do becomes a signature or a hook for the song, and Lee Rittenauer is one of those guys that could play something that became would become ex- extremely memorable in a tune you know that that what you know really made the song and you know without realizing it people come back to that song and what they recognize it is that guitar hook people like him and people like Steve Gadd you know Steve Gadd just makes makes the groove happen and what he does is allow the artist to not have to worry about where the time is where the, you know whether the time is going to be there, whether somebody's going to come back around on a on a phrase, and he's always 
out of the way of the music. He's always playing in service of the song. And that seems like a fairly obvious thing, but a lot of players, you know, go into a situation and they feel, okay, I got to I got to show everybody how badass I am and play like a you know, play this fantastic fill around the corner. And what it does is it distracts from the music. And Steve Gadd, who's capable of doing all of that and more, makes the decision not to do that because it doesn't serve the song well. And that's the mark of a really great musician. So that's why people like Steve Gadd and Lee Rittenauer and Dave Grusin and all those people are all the people that are first call for people like Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell and uh, Paul McCartney and all of those people because they recognize that these guys are going to create a band situation. You know, they're going to think about what it is that's going to make the song happen. And that, you know, that's a real special kind of talent and, and ability to be able to do that. Absolutely. Hey, we appreciate the call. And, David, we had a, a early caller in that we promised we'd let talk to you. Okay. If you don't mind, this is Janet. She's a big fan calling from Las Vegas. Janet. Janet. Hey, Janet. This is Janet. Hi, Dave. How are you Hi, doing? Hi, Janet. I'm doing all right. We're going to be out in Las Vegas sometime, I think, in uh, sometime March or April, something like that. Yeah, because I, 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 I seen you there last spring at the South Point. We came yep. backstage to see you. We're the ladies from Las Vegas, so just wanted to say hi to you, and, and thanks for talking to me, and well, congratulations on your new album. Well, I hope and you come back and see us when we're back, because we're going to be back at the South Point. You know I'm going to be back there. All right. So just remember me. So <laughs> All right, when Janet. we come backstage, we'll say hi to you, and you have a good spring, and we'll be waiting to see you, okay? All right, Janet Planet. Okay, baby. Bye-bye. All, right. Bye. All right, Janet, be looking for David backstage. So uh, what, what, where are some places you're going pretty soon so people that are listening can well, I'm gonna be playing. Well, uh, I'm going to be playing the, uh, the Blue Note in New York uh, right. February 17th uh, through the 22nd. Uh, let's see. I'm going to be playing. Uh, uh, let me think. I'm trying to think. I've here. got the schedule. I've yeah, got Cruz, Cruz you do? There. She's been kind yeah. of quiet. She's got I'm in March. Uh, March, I'm playing in Charlotte on the 4th, Durham, North Carolina on the 5th, Newberry, South Carolina on the 6th, and Atlanta on the 7th. And we're doing a lot of these dates uh, uh, with Tower of Power. Oh, okay. So do it's going to be my, my band and Tower of Power. Yeah. And Excellent. then uh, I'm playing uh, at the end of the month in uh, 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 Parisburg, Verona, Glenside, Bridgeport, Englewood, uh, Virginia Beach at the end of March. And then uh, uh, April, I'm actually going to go go into the studio and, and starting to work on another record wow. for a lot of April and May. At the end of May, I'm going to be in Vegas uh, the 29th, 30th, and 31st, and then uh, at the South Point, and then Seattle the, the in June, uh, the 2nd through the, I think, the 6th or 7th. You know, through the second through the seventh at Jazz Alley. Yeah, Cruiser Mail had knocked it out, right? What's that? Yeah, yeah. My co-host there. Make sure that you didn't miss any. Yeah, he, did, he didn't miss a single one. He I didn't miss a single one. There you go. How about that's? I guess my memory's not failing me yet. <laughs> well, I know the album. You've got some really special guests on there. I don't know. I don't know if any of you guys ever join you. Eric Clapton, Derek Trucks, of course. You know, but Tower Power. That's a great add-on and. Who else is in the uh, playing with you on some of these live shows? 
Well, uh, my regular keyboard player is a guy named Ricky Peterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's from Minneapolis. He was used to. He worked a lot with Prince and uh, among other people. And uh, where he worked with John Mayer and uh, and Stevie Nicks and and uh, and uh, Richard Patterson, who was mm-hmm. a bass player and who I got uh, when when he left Miles and I hired him and uh, Miles Davis and uh, a guitar player named Nicky Morrock, who's an amazing player, and a drummer named Gene Lake. Mm-hmm. And that's the core rhythm section. And then uh, I'm gonna, on some of these dates that I'm doing with Tower of Power, we're going to, some of the guys in the, their, the horn section are going to play with me. And we're going to do some of the music from the new record here at Gone. That sounds like one hell of a show. <laughs> and plus they do that, an amazing show. I mean, that, yeah. that is truly the world's greatest bar band. Oh, yeah. You know. Hey, David. Oh, yeah. I'm sure yes. people have checked that out. Hey, David? Yes. Hi, this is Mel. Um, Hi, Mel. Mel. won't let me talk, but I'm going to go ahead and talk. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, I know you've got um, someone I, I particularly like, Joss Stone, singing on. Oh, isn't she great? She really is. She's, She's awesome. un- unbelievable. I was wondering, is, in any of these future dates, is there any kind of hope that perhaps she might appear at one of those gigs? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've talked to her, and we've tried. We actually almost got together. A, a, we were trying to do a TV special, and uh, we were going to get Eric and Joss and Sam Moore there. But uh, then uh, I, I couldn't. I, I had some gigs, and I got stuck in Japan and couldn't get back in time, and and Eric had to go away, and then Joss was unavailable, so I had to blow that thing off. Well, that was a real disappointment for me, because I was going to do that actually uh, right right before Christmas. Mm, okay. And uh, But I'm, I'm certainly, you know, we've certainly been talking about it, and I think that certainly at some point we're going to do something together in a live situation. And uh, I'm doing the Letterman show on uh, February the 19th, Awesome. And we're going to do. My next question. Yeah, we're doing. Uh, Sam Moore's going to sing with us. We're going to do one of the tunes that that he did on the record called "I Got News for You." Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're at some point going to do another TV show, and I want to get Josh to do that. And we're probably going to uh, do something in London. I think Jewel, the Jules Holland show, and I think maybe Eric is going to sing with us on that one. So you know what we're going to do is all that stuff. You know, all that stuff ends up on the internet. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's no. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and put it on my website. I mean, to hell, well, let's, let's just, let's just cut the, cut the masquerade, right? So just, I'm just gonna slap it on the website for revenue. If we put that on YouTube, then yeah. There you go. Why not? Yeah. I mean, half of night music is on YouTube, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We of course have uh, lifted the the uh, Taj Mahal. Uh, Gilbert Sullivan song. We're going to be playing that later. We're going to play a couple clips from your music as well. I don't want to do that while you're on because we want to talk to you. But we got. Uh, I'm going to move to the outskirts a little bit of that uh, yeah. town with Eric Clapton and Brother Ray with Derek Trucks. We're going to have a little fun so people can hear what your new album is. Isn't he amazing, Derek? Yeah. Oh yeah. Boy, that guy's. I mean, he's. I think one of the one of the best musicians I've heard in in my life. And Eric says about Derek that he said, "Look, this is the guy." He said, "This is the guy." You know, so you know when you know when somebody like Eric Clapton says that, you know, yeah, that's my <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But and Derek lives up to it. You know, the 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 almonds are going to be playing here in New York where I am. Wow. Uh, they do their you know show around Easter time every year, and I'm going to go and sit in with them then. 
<laughs> so you got lots going on. Just yeah, no, I tried doing all this craziness. Yeah, hey, moving target, you know. Yeah, I want to ask you a question right quick that, that Brian was hoping to ask, and we got several callers. So I know. Just let me know when you got to go, but we're gonna hog you as long as we can. But he was curious. A lot of people uh, also were curious if you had total creative control uh, when you were participating with Todd on the song initiation. Um. Well, in the sense that he said, just go. You know, I mean, he didn't. Uh, he didn't inhibit me at all, you know, and, and in a way it was a little, it was a little, uh, uh, disconcerting because I was expecting that he was going to give me some kind of direction mm-hmm. and he just said, just play, <laughs> you know, so in, in the sense that, you know, that is creative control. Yes. You know, do you like it better that way? Or would you rather have, some uh, have I, I, you know, yes and no, if it depends on the situation and in a situation like that, it was good, you know, uh, because I, I I trusted him to you know if something was not going right that he would tell me and he was you know you you know that somebody's a good enough musician that you know that there if they trust you enough to say just go ahead and do what you do and I'll stop you if if it's not right that that's the kind of attitude you want you want somebody to have you know but if you know if it's in another situation where it's a little bit you know, maybe not as creatively stimulating. Uh, you know, you need a little direction. You know, just because right. it's like, well, what the hell am I going to do with this? <laughs> you know, but that was not the case with Todd. Yeah, everybody trying to get on the same page. All right, well, we have a caller that's been on hold for a while. Hope you don't mind taking another one. Eric, sure. One two. Hello, hello, uh, David. Yes. Yes. Hi, this is Scott from Minneapolis. Hi, Scott. Oh, sure. Minneapolis, the home of Ricky Peterson. Yep, yep, the Peterson family. The whole family, right? Yeah, the family dog can play 17 instruments. You know? I know, please. <laughs> and you know, their cousin, their, their cousin Jason, who's a saxophone player. Well, I can't remember Jason's last name, but he's loosely in the family, too. That's a okay. big family. Yeah. And the mom is still playing great piano. Right. Yeah, she plays a lot here in town, too. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to uh, ask you a couple questions. Uh, just thinking about the night music show, what a wonderful show that was. And Yeah, it was great. Uh, just such a great mix of people on that show that it just, you know, will we ever see a show like that on TV again? Uh, I would love to say yes, but I I got to say no, and I don't, yeah. I don't I'm not, you know, I'm not generally pessimistic, but I just know what the landscape is like now, and I mean, when's the last time you really saw live music on TV outside of you know like Letterman or Leno, and, right? You know, some of the, I mean, you know. I mean, it's there, here and there, but certainly not anything that's, you know, of that nature. I mean, the Elvis Costello has an interesting show. On, right. I think it's on, I'm not sure what channel it's on, Bravo or something, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the cable channels that, uh, you know, where he interviews musicians and he plays with them. I mean, there's some interesting stuff there, but I think a show like Night Music, uh, uh, I think it's unlikely in this climate, but you never know. I mean, yeah. hope springs eternal, you know what I mean? I see a lot of the Jules Holland or that night music and the Jules Holland show too. Well, yeah, I mean, Jules pretty much took the idea, you mm-hmm. know, and ran with it, to, you know, at at uh, at the, the BBC, and uh, you know, Jules is such a you know charismatic guy that he was able to you know bring off that concept and pretty much you know uh, transplanted it to uh, to London and the you know and he's got look at the great talent pool he has to draw from not only you know 
all all of Europe and 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 England, but you know people that come from from the U.S. as well. And there's there's also that great show there live from Abbey Road. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know that's a great show. I love that one. Mm-hmm. Another question too, uh, no one's brought up is your time with David Bowie too. And uh, oh, that, I really love interesting. That period with the Young Americans and the Diamond yeah. Dogs tour. Could, do you have any stories of that well, time? Yeah. Boy, I have so many stories. <laughs> I remember uh, when I ran, went on the road with Bowie for the first time, it was uh, the Diamond Dogs uh, tour. that We ended up recording live at the Tower Theater in, in Philly. We did a live, uh, it's called David Live, I think. And uh, But when I was on the road with Bowie, I had never done that kind of theatrical you know, music thing before, and it was a huge set. I mean, like, you know, giant, like a ruined city and cranes and, you know, forklifts. And I mean, it was a massive proposition. But Bowie at that, you know, certainly at that time, had this this, this uh, group of uh, fanatics that followed him around, fans and, and groupies, and they were uh, like outside every show. These these people, like I think, would save up their money all year and then travel. They they showed up. These the same group of people showed up at the stage door of every gig that we played in the states. And there was this one guy who was dressed in like a full like a ball gown, you know, and a powdered wig and and jewelry and a full beard and makeup. And I thought. This is not the blues. This is something else. <laughs> this is a whole other, and it was just it was an, an introduction to me into a whole other world of, of, you know, it really taught me about the importance of the visual aspect of the presentation of the music, you know, and Bowie's sense of theater was, you know, he had such a great, you know, sense of how to present the music and how to visually represent the music that. You know, I learned how important that is to, in the, in the whole, you know, the delivery of the music. You know, and uh, when we went to do uh, right right after that, it was a pretty elaborate set. And then we we all in, we all went home for a minute, and then he called us up uh, to come to Philly. Uh, he wanted to do a record at uh, at the studio that uh, Gamble and Huff recorded in Philly, the Philly International place that uh, I can't Sigma Sound I think yeah Sigma right. mm-hmm. Sound that's what it was called and uh, we were on we did Vampire Hours so we'd start recording at like midnight or one in the morning and go to about eight or nine or ten in the morning uh, and this was during the Young Americans time and so he would kind of give us an idea of the music and so it was the the band was uh, Carlos Alomar on rhythm guitar Mike Garson on piano, Willie Weeks on bass, and uh, Andy Newmark on drums. And Luther and we, Vandross, too, right? What's that? And, and Luther, Luther Vandross. Vandross. Exactly. Oh. Luther Vandross and his his group Vandross, his two other uh, background singers. And we just kind of, we played, and he kind of, Bowie just kind of wrote the music as we as the music was happening. And he said to me, he said, look, he said, we're not going to have any lead guitar on this record. You're the lead guitar. That's your job. So instead of lead guitar, it was alto. So basically, that whole record, there, there's only rhythm guitar in me. 
So I'm playing all the fills throughout the whole record, you know. And it was uh, it was an unusual approach. I mean, I think it, it turned out to be pretty successful. And actually, my my least favorite tune on the record is Young Americans. The the other stuff on the record to me is a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, Fame is on that record. That's the one tune I wasn't on. Uh, but there's other stuff on that record that's uh, that's really amazing. You know, music. Yeah, win. Win. Yeah, exactly. Win. Yeah, I love those songs. And uh, uh, but that was a great experience working with him on that. And I, you know, I see David from time to time. We we cross paths, and you know, it's always it's always great to see him. I mean, he's he's another guy who just you know just follows his own you know direction about where the music should go, and he always comes up with something interesting and always something different. And it's like he doesn't rely on you know, formulas. He's just, he's one of the most creative, hardworking musicians I know. I mean, he works hard at what he does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that I've, that I've taken away from all the people that I've worked with, like Stevie Wonder and Paul Simon and James Taylor and, uh, and all these people. These guys work hard. I mean, they, you know, they don't just sit around waiting for, you know, creativity to strike them like lightning. I mean, they're hard at work, you know, and they fail as often as they succeed. But, you know, in those failures lie the seeds of success, you know. And I think that if there's one lesson I learned in all my years of, you know, playing with people that, you know, operate on a on a high level of creativity like that, is you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it, you know. I mean, Bob or fly. Yeah, as that as, as simple as that sounds, you know, you you sit there at whether it's the piano or the guitar or whatever it is, you just pound away, you finish the song, and if it's crap, you just keep moving. You write another one, and you write another one because all of that stuff become they become all those failed tunes become spare parts for another one, and then all of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the night and sit down and write a whole song and it'll be great. And like, how did that happen? Well, it happened because you fucked up all that other stuff you know all the other stuff failed and that was all you know fertilizer for this you know and that to me that's a great lesson and that you know and that that's the secret to me of music just work hard i mean as 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 tedious and as you know as un you know exciting as that may sound that's it you know and every once in a while, you get hit by the cre- the creative thing, and it just happens. This stuff happens, you know. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me, David. Sure. Yeah. Have a good evening. Hey, thanks thank a lot you. for the call. We appreciate you. Good night. Thanks. All right, very good. Dave, you got a little more time with us? Sure. Oh, great. Beautiful. Okay, because our our next caller um, uh, likes to talk a lot. He's a good guy. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to get. He's our our historian for Todd stuff and other things in that that environment, and uh, I'm sure he knows a lot about you. But uh, Bill Bricker, you're with us. What's up? I knew you were gonna say it was me. <laughs> oh, hi, hi, David. How are you? Okay. I'm gonna keep it short. I'm gonna say something. I don't know if it would offend you or or impress you, but I never cared about a saxophone until I heard your solo on Initiation. 
Well, thank you very much. That phone take was uninteresting to me. Now I'm, you know, ignorant, whatever, maybe six, 16 years old, something like that. And that that saxophone solo um, opened up the whole new world of uh, of saxophone for me. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. My my question for you has to do with in that environment. I know Todd did a lot of, and you talked about it with Sigma Sound. You know, you play a lot of parts, do a lot of things, and he comes back with, okay, here's the song, and he says, right. do this part here and that part there. When you played your solo, did you um, did you just listen to tracks? Was everybody playing, or was it isolated? How did you do it? I listened to the track. That that and was how, how, how many times? <laughs> oh boy, you know, I don't think it was very many because I don't. I remember Todd not wanting there to be too many takes because I think he recognized that you know if you do it too many times, you start to get calculated about it, and whatever. Whatever else he wanted on that tune, it was not that. He didn't want you to start to calculate stuff. He he felt that you know I I'm I'm, I'm guessing now. I, it seems it, it seemed as though he felt that you know I'm going to get it. You know, I'm going to get it right away. And if we don't get it right away, we're not going to get it. I'm going to have somebody else do it. You know. And I think Put that pressure on. Well, yeah, but it, it wasn't. You know, I can only say that in retrospect, because it didn't seem that way at the time. I was—I I just remember my recollection of that is like, you mean we're done? That's it. I—I I, I remember doing it only a, maybe a couple of times, maybe two, maybe three times, at the most. And I don't remember ever doing any punch-ins or anything like that. It was like one take, two take, or three takes. And I'm not sure if he combined things. To create a solo, or if he just used one or the other, I, I honestly don't remember. There's a lot of processing on it too. There's yeah, there is a lot of processing. On it. He did that afterwards. Uh, yeah, I, he, uh, he did. Yeah, okay. some some of it I remember. Uh, th- there was some some stuff that I remember that there was a lot of reverb on it when I was hearing it back because I think he wanted me to have a, probably have a sense of how it was going to fit in with the song because that was. That would affect the way I played, but in terms mm-hmm. of the other processing, I, I think that happened. That that, as I recall, because you guys have to remember that was a long time ago. Yeah, I recall that that was after the fact. But my recollection is is that it was mostly the reverb that I was that I heard. You know. And did he did you do just that track? He said, "I've got this track. I got the sax part here. Go." Because I know Edgar Winter plays sax. I think on uh, Fair Warning on that album. Yeah, I I only remember doing that one, so I don't. Uh, uh, and I think didn't I play with Mike and Randy uh, in a section on some other stuff? I thought I did. Now you're getting it to where my memory is not. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I remember going there with Mike and Randy. Because I was there, I was in the studio with Mike and Randy Brecker, okay. and I, my recollection is that we did we we did stuff together as a section, and. And that uh, I then I ended up doing that that song by myself, you know. So I I you know I'm not clear about how much we did, but I know I wasn't in the studio alone. I know I was there with Mike and Randy because that's how I got, you know, because we we were a section. Okay, my uh, my last question for you has to do with, and I know it's speculation. You're talking about working with David Bowie. In my opinion, David Bowie has had a much more successful. Um, career in terms of audiences knowing him as someone who is creative 
wide audiences know him as someone who is creative and who is diverse. The general perception in most audiences is Todd is this classic rock guy. You know, hello, it's me, I saw the light. Did you see anything that would help anybody try to figure out how to do it the way Bowie did? In other words, to be known for being different and to be successful at being different? Todd's success is he continues to go, but his reputation just doesn't seem to match that. You know, that's a very good question, and I could, you know, I, I could give you all kinds of opinions about it, but in the end, I don't know if, you know, if any of them really mean anything, because, you know, it's all speculation, and you just, you don't know. I mean, I think Bowie's, you know, had certainly in his early years maintained a, maintained a higher profile as a soloist, you know, uh-huh. as and he was... He probably is was more adept at managing his public image than Todd was. I don't. I always got the feeling that Todd really kind of didn't care about that part of it, you know. And I think Bowie is has a knack for that, you know. I think uh, that uh, you know m- maybe there's maybe the 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 fan base for Bowie, you know, being being English is more, you know, uh, they're more dedicated to him. And whereas, you know, the American, you know, the, the, the thing about America is that they, they don't, there's not a lot of value placed on that kind of creativity, you know. And certainly Todd, because Todd had success as a, as a mainstream artist, mm-hmm. I think that maybe he gets, you know, he gets shortchanged by by people that say, "Oh, well, he was just—he's just another pop guy." You know, he's not a real artist. You know, and people that don't know, people that just kind of, you know, are dismissive for whatever reason. You know, that he doesn't—he doesn't fit into whatever preconception they have of somebody who's, you know, a quote artist unquote. I mean, but those, you know, other people who really know realize that of course he is of course he's an artist you know and he's i don't think he's maintained as high a public profile as bowie you know and that yeah, i don't think that's to, and I, I don't mean that to take away from any anything about bowie you know his creativity or or because i think bowie is one of the most creative people i've ever worked with in my life and and continuously i mean he all of his records to me are interesting everything that he does you know that that one song of his, I'm scared of Americans. You know that tune of his. I don't, I don't know that one. I don't know what record that's on, but that's such a great tune. You know. I mean, he's just, you know, he comes up with stuff that, may, you know, it stops me when I hear it. It's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know. And I mean, he's just, he's a natural. You know, he's just a natural. And and Todd is a natural in another way. You know, Todd to me is a quintessentially American guy. You know, when I hear him do like Marvin Gaye stuff, which is that when I first heard him do that, I was totally shocked that like, you know, he was singing Marvin Gaye tunes and he sounded unbelievably great. And then I thought, well, of course, he's a soul singer. <laughs> That's what he is. You know, yeah, he's he's a he's a soul singer. You know, and he has that, you know, 
he's got that quality. And, you know, uh, he's just, he's a quintessentially American star to me, you know. And I think that he's an artist, too. And, you know, for whatever reason, he has not, you know, whether it's by choice or by circumstances, he hasn't had the, as, as high a profile as other people have. And a lot of, I, I sometimes believe that that's by choice. I, don't, I could be totally wrong. But I believe well, that I'll, I'll close it with a, with a quote. There was a Cream interview with him uh, in the late 70s, and someone said, we heard you wanted to be the Elvis of the 70s. What happened with that? And he said, well, I stopped trying in 1977. Weren't you paying attention? <laughs> so he just, he, he just stopped doing it. So yeah. I'm going to get off here and let other people go. Um, thanks again for um, doing, doing what you do and being on Rungan Radio. It's just super. Well, thank you. Um, and Night Doug. Night, Night Bill. Bill. Thanks for calling in, man. Sure. Thanks. Good call from Bill Bricker. Cruiser Mel. Yes, sir. I have hogged the time. I'm going to give you the floor if you'd like it. Well, I did want to ask something. I was reading through David's uh, biography, and I wanted to ask, and this is it's a self-serving question just because I'm a fan of Burt Bacharach. And I understand too. you played on that TV special that he did, One Amazing Night. Oh, that was so much fun. Was it amazing? It was. It was. It was an amazing night. Yes. <laughs> what role did? What did? What did you do? Were you in the band that was on stage the whole time, or, or what was the deal? I, I played on on uh, no on, on certain tunes, and I don't remember the song that I played on. Uh, I played on one song that uh, George Duke and I played, okay. and uh, I don't remember. I can't remember what else we I, what else I did outside of that. I think what? I might have. What was the occasion that that was even brought together as a big show? I'm not sure. I think it was a celebration of of Bert. It might have been a birthday thing. It might have just been an opportunity to get a. I, I know Phil Ramone is the guy that kind of put it together. He's the guy that called me oh, about and he it. Just produced your new he, record. He just produced my last record. He produced my second record, and he just produced my last record. And I've known Phil for, you know, forever. From I actually met him when I was uh, playing with Paul Simon. Uh, so that's how I got involved in that project. And uh, and I had known Burt for years back when he was with Carol Bayer Sager. Mm-hmm. I used to run into him in, what, in Los Angeles. And uh, and I'd always, you know, we'd always talked about doing something together. And uh, I played on one of his records uh, that, that Phil produced at, at one point. And uh, it just when the opportunity came up to play with him on this, it was uh, absolutely, of course, I will. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you get to meet Michael Myers when he did What's New Pussycat and all that? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Wasn't that great? It, you know, I watch a lot of stuff on television, but not much of it sticks with me. That one sticks. That show was, I mean, it was killer. It was just a great special, and I bought the CD and the whole bit. I mean, <laughs> it was just great. Well, I used to run into Mike Myers all the time because uh, when, we would mix, when we would mix the sound for night music, uh, he was... Uh, he would often be up in the studio uh, doing, you know, getting working on stuff for Saturday Night Live. So, uh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I knew Michael from, from those days. Okay. Huh. All right. There you go. There he Very is. cool. So is Burt Bacharach as nice as I think he probably He is, is a wonderful guy. And, uh, I mean, he pretty much what you see is, is the way he is. I mean, he's not, you know, there's not a lot of, a lot of, uh, other, you know, 
other stuff going on with him other than what you see. I mean, he's very direct and on the surface. One of the things that always fascinated me about him, and I, and I never realized before somebody told me, was that, that he was Marlena Dietrich's musical director for a long time. And I thought, well... Oh, wow, he doesn't, doesn't quite look that old. I know. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there you go. Yeah. I'd really like to talk a little bit more. I really love this Gilbert and Sullivan deal y'all did on Night Music. Right. What, what, it was kind of off the wall. Could you tell me a little about who came up with the idea? Did well, Todd, it, of course. Yeah. Did people <laughs> expect it, and what was the feedback that you got after it was over? Uh, I, I remember that go, going into it, we thought, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> you know, because Todd is really serious about Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. I mean, he's really into them. I mean, he knows all of their music. You know, he knows all all of the all the op- operas. You know. You know the Mikado. The I think. Uh, what, what what did we do it from? Was it the Mikado that we did? I don't remember what opera it was. From. HMS Pinafore. HMS Pinafore. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but he knows all of those mus all those musicals really well, and uh, I, I just remember saying, uh, but he's so persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and when when he's on something that he really believes in, and he, you know, I mean, he got me and Pat Metheny and Taj Mahal. Yeah, I mean, and, and Matheny, who's like, you know, uh, I don't know, he actually got in, you know, did it and got into it. Who, who did Triangle so, on that? Uh, that's a good question. Was it was it Taj? I don't no. remember. No. I, I, you know, I, I honestly can't remember. Okay. Well, now, so did you just have these outfits laying around for the show, or did y'all? No, I think Todd brought them. He just brought. Okay, and I think Michelle was uh, like a replacement for somebody, if I'm not mistaken. She yeah, that's right. Fly. Yeah, that's so right. I guess Shandy Cinnamon maybe was supposed to do that part. Yep, that's yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you're kind of winging it in a sense, and that's right. You have no idea what people are going to say. I mean, did you get any kind of? I don't know how y'all would have got feedback for those kind of shows, but what kind of? Do you recall anybody saying anything about that? Did they loved well, it or hated it? We were doing we were doing so many things that were so off the wall <laughs> that you know. The the only feedback we ever got from anybody on I remember the when we did uh do you know who the residents are? Uh-huh. It was that yeah. art art kind of band from San Francisco. Right. They did a version of Elvis the Elvis Presley tune Teddy Bear <laughs> that was like the darkest shit you could possibly imagine. Hmm. And it was like, Let me be your teddy bear and these strange costumes that looked like, you know, uh <laughs> What's it guy uh, Tim Burton? Yeah. Kind of you know Beetlejuice kinds of costumes. Yep. And the, the sponsor came up. The guy from the uh, Anheuser Busch came to me afterwards, saying, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> he said, "I thought we were getting Phil Collins and you know people like that on this show." I said, "No, you know the yeah you know I I, I don't know where I said some shit. I said like." Oh, the kids love it. This is it. This is a new thing. <laughs> this is the hottest thing going. Yeah, yeah. This is but, the. This is great. You know, Phil will be on the show per, pretty soon. But yeah, you know. thirty years later, you're probably right. You in know, the meantime, in, yeah. In the meantime, you know. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I don't remember specifically that show because we've yeah. done so many other things that were so much more out than that. Yeah, he and that was kind of stuff. you know, yeah, relatively harmless. Running. Yeah, parallel lines he did, Can't Stop Running. Those were, you know, very nice. Yeah. Normal, I guess, for lack of a better term, songs. So. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be nice to have some more shows like that. A lot of oh, I would love that. Day. Yeah, yeah. All right, very good. Okay. Question about night music. I do recall watching it uh, a few times, but I can't re- remember. Was it all music, or was there like a talk portion? Well, it was. We had film. We had old archival film clips of you know mostly jazz artists like uh, stuff from the from the past like Louis Armstrong and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and you know, different people, Billy Holiday and uh, and stuff like that. But it was, you know, and then we'd interview people. we interview the artists a little bit uh, before they played. But it was, the, the primary focus of the show was the music. Yeah. You know, so that was really it. You know. Do you look so why did that show in? What happened? Well, we just lost a sponsor. You know, we did it for two years, and they just said, well, we're, we're, we're moving on. And uh, I think they never got the... The, the kinds of big numbers that they were hoping to get, and for, you never really know. You know, people tell you why, and you don't really know if that's a reason. And you know, we, they didn't really give us much of a reason. You know? Some people just don't get it. <laughs> well, yeah, if know. it's too good, it's not going to make it. It's got to exactly. be something that appeals to the masses. That's for the, uh, you know. All right, very good. We got a call from seven two seven. You're with us. This is Tommy calling. How you doing there? Good. good. How are you? I'm busy here. Um, I just wanted, I'm, I'm tuning in late and I see, I hear you got Dave Sanborn on. I just wanted to ask a couple questions. Sure. One is, uh, I, I just caught what your, your statement about night music, which I thought was one of the best music programs I'd ever seen. It was great. Oh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. I mean, seeing the combinations of players, plus you had that amazing band. And, yeah, it was uh, a great band, Marcus Miller and, uh, you know, and, uh, Omar Hakim. And Philippe Sace and Hiram Bullock and Don Don Elias. Uh, it was a it was a great band, you know. I I never knew George Duke was funny. Oh, that's right. Remember, he played he, he played with he played with, with Frank Zappa. I know, I know that. I'm a big uh, George Duke fan, as I am of your music. I, I saw you play at the Garden State Arts Center in New Jersey. Uh, you opened for Al Jarreau, and it was fantastic. Um, you know the one one question I have, and this is a sax solo that actually really always kicked my butt, and it's the one from Initiation, and that's you on that, right? Yes. Uh, okay. Question: Did you play through a fuzz tone, or did Todd do that to your sax after? I, the I, I think Todd did that later. Todd okay, did that later because I don't remember uh, what, what I was saying before. Is I, I remember playing, I remember having an echo. There and I, yeah. but I don't remember the buzz until after until I heard it later, you know. Yeah, yeah, because of the era that it was, it was kind of you know the fusion era, and you know everybody was, you know, using echoplexes, ring modulators, yeah. on, on, and it was a ring era modulator. Era. God, I haven't heard that for a while. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was of the era where you know people were trying that stuff on instruments, but uh, I mean that was for me that was just a taste of what your career became many years later. Well, uh, but that, I mean, that's just, but on a musical level, that's the first time I heard you play. Wow. And, wow. um, and I thought, and it caught me, I said, this guy's amazing. And you went on to have this illustrious career and worked with, this, you know, and, and I just wanted to say like, I, I'm, I'm a fan of your playing. Well, thank you very um, much. And, uh, I, I love what you, what you did with the show. Well, uh, there's a great, there's a, another great Todd moment on the show. Um, well, obviously he did the Gilbert and Sullivan stuff, but the moment that really uh, hit home for me is uh, when he did Keep On Running and he had Hiram Bullock playing guitar with him. Ah. 
And, Hiram, uh, Hiram was the best. Rest in peace. God, he, yes, he's yes, amazing. Yes, but anyway, I, I think it's great you found time to come on the show. And, well, thank uh, you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. You know. And uh, and if you're at NAND a week from Friday, please come and say hello. I'm the musical director at the musical at the All Star Jam on the Friday. Oh well, thank. I wish I could be there, but you know what? I'm I'm going on vacation for the rest of the month. Okay. And, well, uh, just you know, I'm, I'm just about ready to to fold my brain in half. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great. Thanks for taking my call, David. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to head off pretty soon. So. All right. Fair enough. See you, Tommy Z. Hey, Dave, we really appreciate you being on, giving us so much time. My I'll pleasure. I'll see you in Atlanta. I'm going to come check out that show. It's only oh, please do. Outside. Please come and see us. I think, you'll, I think you'll really dig it. Oh, I guarantee it. And I know my wife's a big fan of jazz, so I'm looking forward to that show. And we'll see you then. And we really, really appreciate you being on. It's and my pleasure. I'm going to be the schedule. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, David Sanborn, everybody, from the show Night Music, as we talked about many times, and, of course, 23 albums, a great sax player. You can get his stuff at davidsanborn.com, or you can click on the Amazon.com picture on our website here, rungarradio.com. What a great guest. He's also got a MySpace, uh, David Sanborn Band. Yep, he's got Facebook. He's all over, man. He knows how to market. (laughs) What a great guest. I know. Man, he was money. I, I thought we'd get 10 minutes out of him. I think we got almost an hour. That's right. Love it. Love it. Great stuff. But this is, I'm going to move to the outskirts of town on David's new album, with, and this features Eric Clapton as well. This is a clip from that. Then I'll play one that is called Brother Ray that features a clip with Derek Trucks. And if I can get an initiation, I'll slap that one in there too. All right? Have a good one. See you.
Something comes alive. Once the silver cup and the gold. 